Book sixteen, chapters twenty one through thirty one of the City of God. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Darren L. Slider, www.logoslibrary.org. The City of God by St. Augustine of Hippo, Book sixteen. Chapter twenty one. Now when Abraham and Lot had separated, and dwelt apart, owing to the necessity of supporting their families, and not to vile discord, and Abraham was in the land of Canaan, but Lot in Sodom, the Lord said to Abraham in a third oracle, Lift up thine eyes, and look from the place where thou now art, to the north, and to Africa, and to the east, and to the sea. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed for ever." and I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth. If any one can number the dust of the earth, thy seed shall also be numbered. Arise and walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, for unto thee will I give it. It does not clearly appear whether in this promise that also is contained by which he is made the father of all nations. For the clause, And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, may seem to refer to this, being spoken by that figure the Greeks call hyperbole, which indeed is figurative, not literal. But no person of understanding can doubt in what manner the scripture uses this and other figures. For that figure, that is, way of speaking, is used when what is said is far larger than what is meant by it. For who does not see how incomparably larger the number of the dust must be than that of all men can be from Adam himself down to the end of the world? How much greater, then, must it be than the seed of Abraham, not only that pertaining to the nation of Israel, but also that which is and shall be according to the imitation of faith in all nations of the whole wide world? For that seed is indeed very small in comparison with the multitude of the wicked, although even those few of themselves make an innumerable multitude, which by a hyperbole is compared to the dust of the earth." Truly that multitude which was promised to Abraham is not innumerable to God, although to man, but to God not even the dust of the earth is so. Further, the promise here made may be understood not only of the nation of Israel, but of the whole seed of Abraham, which may be fitly compared to the dust for multitude, because regarding it also there is the promise of many children, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. But we have therefore said that this does not clearly appear, because the multitude even of that one nation which was born according to the flesh of Abraham through his grandson Jacob has increased so much as to fill almost all parts of the world. Consequently, even it might by hyperbole be compared to the dust for multitude, because even it alone is innumerable by man. Certainly no one questions that only that land is meant which is called Canaan. But that saying, To thee will I give it, and to thy seed for ever, may move some, if by for ever they understand to eternity. But if in this passage they take for ever thus, as we firmly hold it means, that the beginning of the world to come is to be ordered from the end of the present, there is still no difficulty, because, although the Israelites are expelled from Jerusalem, they still remain in other cities in the land of Canaan, and shall remain even to the end. And when that whole land is inhabited by Christians, they also are the very seed of Abraham. Chapter 22 
Having received this oracle of promise, Abraham migrated and remained in another place of the same land, that is, beside the oak of Mamre, which was in Hebron. Then, on the invasion of Sodom, when five kings carried on war against four, and Lot was taken captive with the conquered Sodomites, Abraham delivered him from the enemy, leading with him to battle three hundred and eighteen of his home-born servants, and won the victory for the kings of Sodom, but would take nothing of the spoils when offered by the king for whom he had won them. He was then openly blessed by Melchizedek, who was priest of God Most High, about whom many and great things are written in the epistle which is inscribed to the Hebrews, which most say is by the apostle Paul, though some deny this. For then first appeared the sacrifice which is now offered to God by Christians in the whole wide world, and that is fulfilled, which long after the event was said by the prophet to Christ, who was yet to come in the flesh, Thou art a priest for ever after the order of Melchizedek. That is to say, not after the order of Aaron, for that order was to be taken away when the things shone forth which were intimated beforehand by these shadows. Chapter 23 the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision also. For when God promised him protection and exceeding great reward, he, being solicitous about posterity, said that a certain Eliezer of Damascus, born in his house, would be his heir. Immediately he was promised an heir, not that house-born servant, but one who was to come forth of Abraham himself. And again a seed innumerable, not as the dust of the earth, but as the stars of heaven which rather seems to me a promise of a posterity exalted in celestial felicity. For, so far as multitude is concerned, what are the stars of heaven to the dust of the earth, unless one should say the comparison is like, inasmuch as the stars also cannot be numbered? For it is not to be believed that all of them can be seen. For the more keenly one observes them, the more does he see." so that it is to be supposed some remain concealed from the keenest observers, to say nothing of those stars which are said to rise and set in another part of the world most remote from us. Finally, the authority of this book condemns those, like Aratus or Eudoxus, or any others who boast that they have found out and written down the complete number of the stars. Here indeed is set down that sentence which the apostle quotes in order to commend the grace of God. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Lest the circumcision should glory, and be unwilling to receive the uncircumcised nations to the faith of Christ. For at the time when he believed, and his faith was counted to him for righteousness, Abraham had not yet been circumcised. Chapter 24 in the same vision God, in speaking to him, also says, I am God that brought thee out of the region of the Chaldees, to give thee this land to inherit it. And when Abram asked whereby he might know that he should inherit it, God said to him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle-dove, and a pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And the fowls came down, as it is written, on the carcasses, and Abram sat down by them. But about the going down of the sun great fear fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. 
And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land not theirs, and they shall reduce them to servitude, and shall afflict them four hundred years. But the nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out hither with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, kept in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And when the sun was setting, there was a flame, and a smoking furnace, and lamps of fire, that passed through between those pieces. In that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land, from the river of Egypt, unto the great river Euphrates, the Kenites, and the Kenazites, and the Cadmonites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Rephaims, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. All these things were said and done in a vision from God, but it would take long and would exceed the scope of this work to treat of them exactly in detail. It is enough that we should know that after it was said Abram believed in God, and it was counted to him for righteousness, he did not fail in faith in saying, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? For the inheritance of that land was promised to him. Now he does not say, How shall I know, as if he did not yet believe, but he says, Whereby shall I know, meaning that some sign might be given by which he might know the manner of those things which he had believed, just as it is not for lack of faith, the Virgin Mary says, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? For she inquired as to the way in which that should take place, which she was certain would come to pass. And when she asked this, she was told, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Here also, in fine, a symbol was given, consisting of three animals, a heifer, a she-goat, and a ram, and two birds, a turtle-dove and pigeon, that he might know that the things which he had not doubted should come to pass were to happen in accordance with this symbol. Whether, therefore, the heifer was a sign that the people should be put under the law, the she-goat that the same people was to become sinful, the ram that they should reign, and these animals are said to be of three years old for this reason, that there are three remarkable divisions of time, from Adam to Noah, and from him to Abraham, and from him to David, who on the rejection of Saul was first established by the will of the Lord in the kingdom of the Israelite nation. In this third division, which extends from Abraham to David, that people grew up as if passing through the third age of life or whether they had some other more suitable meaning still i have no doubt whatever that spiritual things were prefigured by them as well as by the turtle-dove and pigeon and it is said but the birds divided he not because carnal men are divided among themselves but the spiritual not at all whether they seclude themselves from the busy conversation of men like the turtle-dove or dwell among them like the pigeon for both birds are simple and harmless signifying that even in the israelite people to which that land was to be given there would be individuals who were children of the promise and heirs of the kingdom that is to remain in eternal felicity but the fowls coming down on the divided carcasses represent nothing good but the spirits of this air seeking some food for themselves in the division of carnal men but that abraham sat down with them signifies that even amid these divisions of the carnal true believers shall persevere to the end 
and that about the going down of the sun great fear fell upon Abraham, and a horror of great darkness, signifies that about the end of this world believers shall be in great perturbation and tribulation, of which the Lord said in the gospel, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not from the beginning. But what is said to Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land not theirs, and they shall reduce them to servitude, and shall afflict them four hundred years, is most clearly a prophecy about the people of Israel which was to be in servitude in Egypt. Not that this people was to be in that servitude under the oppressive Egyptians for four hundred years, but it is foretold that this should take place in the course of those four hundred years. For as it is written of Terah the father of Abraham, and the days of Terah and Haran were two hundred and five years, not because they were all spent there, but because they were completed there, so it is said here also, and they shall reduce them to servitude, and shall afflict them four hundred years, for this reason, because that number was completed, not because it was all spent in that affliction. The years were said to be four hundred in round numbers, although they were a little more, whether you reckon from this time, when these things were promised to Abraham, or from the birth of Isaac, as the seed of Abraham, of which these things are predicted. For as we have already said above, from the seventy-fifth year of Abraham, when the first promise was made to him, down to the exodus of Israel from Egypt, there are reckoned four hundred and thirty years, which the apostle thus mentions. And this I say, that the covenant confirmed by God, the law, which was made four hundred and thirty years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. So then, these four hundred and thirty years might be called four hundred, because they are not much more, especially since part even of that number had already gone by when these things were shown and said to Abraham in vision, or when Isaac was born in his father's one hundredth year, twenty-five years after the first promise, when of these four hundred and thirty years there now remained four hundred and five, which God was pleased to call four hundred. No one will doubt that the other things which follow in the prophetic words of God pertain to the people of Israel. When it is added, And when the sun was now setting, there was a flame, and lo, a smoking furnace, and lamps of fire which passed through between those pieces, this signifies that at the end of the world the carnal shall be judged by fire. For just as the affliction of the city of God, such as never was before, which is expected to take place under Antichrist, was signified by Abraham's horror of great darkness about the going down of the sun, that is, when the end of the world draws nigh, so, at the going down of the sun, that is, at the very end of the world, there is signified by that fire the day of judgment, which separates the carnal who are to be saved by fire from those who are to be condemned in the fire. And then the covenant made with Abraham particularly sets forth the land of Canaan, and names eleven tribes in it from the river of Egypt even to the great river Euphrates. It is not, then, from the great river of Egypt, that is, the Nile, but from a small one which separates Egypt from Palestine, where the city of rhino is. Chapter 25 and here followed the times of Abraham's sons, the one by Hagar the bondmaid, the other by Sarah the free woman, about whom we have already spoken in the previous book. 
As regards this transaction, Abraham is in no way to be branded as guilty concerning this concubine, for he used her for the begetting of progeny, not for the gratification of lust, and not to insult, but rather to obey his wife, who supposed it would be a solace of her barrenness if she could make use of the fruitful womb of her handmaid to supply the defect of her own nature, and by that law of which the apostle says, Likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife, could as a wife make use of him for child-bearing by another, when she could not do so in her own person. Here there is no wanton lust, no filthy lewdness. The handmaid is delivered to the husband by the wife for the sake of progeny, and is received by the husband for the sake of progeny, each seeking not guilty excess, but natural fruit. And when the pregnant bondwoman despised her barren mistress, and Sarah, with womanly jealousy, rather laid the blame of this on her husband, even then Abraham showed that he was not a slavish lover, but a free begetter of children, and that in using Hagar he had guarded the chastity of Sarah his wife, and had gratified her will and not his own, had received her without seeking, had gone into her without being attached, had impregnated without loving her. For he says, Behold, thy maid is in thy hands, do to her as it pleaseth thee. A man able to use women as a man should, his wife temperately, his handmaid compliantly, neither intemperately. Chapter 26 After these things Ishmael was born of Hagar, and Abraham might think that in him was fulfilled what God had promised him, saying, When he wished to adopt his home-born servant, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth of thee, he shall be thine heir. Therefore, lest he should think that what was promised was fulfilled in the handmaid's son, when Abram was ninety years old and nine, God appeared to him, and said unto him, I am God, be well pleasing in my sight, and be without complaint, and I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will fill thee exceedingly. Here there are more distinct promises about the calling of the nations in Isaac, that is, in the son of promise, by which grace is signified, and not nature. For the son is promised from an old man and a barren old woman. For although God effects even the natural course of procreation, yet where the agency of God is manifest, through the decay or failure of nature, grace is more plainly discerned. And because this was to be brought about, not by generation, but by regeneration, circumcision was enjoined now, when a son was promised of Sarah. And by ordering all, not only sons, but also home-born and purchased servants to be circumcised, he testifies that this grace pertains to all. For what else does circumcision signify than a nature renewed on the putting off of the old? And what else does the eighth day mean than Christ, who rose again when the week was completed, that is, after the Sabbath? The very names of the parents are changed. All things proclaim newness, and the new covenant is shadowed forth in the old. For what does the term old covenant imply but the concealing of the new? And what does the term new covenant imply but the revealing of the old? The laughter of Abraham is the exultation of one who rejoices, not the scornful laughter of one who mistrusts. And those words of his in his heart, Shall a son be born to me that I am an hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear, are not the words of doubt, but of wonder. 
and when it is said and i will give to thee and to thy seed after thee the land in which thou art a stranger all the land of canaan for an everlasting possession if it troubles any one whether this is to be held as fulfilled or whether its fulfilment may still be looked for since no kind of earthly possession can be everlasting for any nation whatever let him know that the word translated everlasting by our writers is what the greeks term aeonion which is derived from aeon the greek for seculum an age but the latins have not ventured to translate this by secular lest they should change the meaning into something widely different for many things are called secular which so happen in this world as to pass away even in a short time but what is termed aeonion either has no end or lasts to the very end of this world chapter twenty seven when it is said the male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin that soul shall be cut off from his people because he hath broken my covenant some may be troubled how that ought to be understood since it can be no fault of the infant whose life it is said must perish nor has the covenant of god been broken by him but by his parents who have not taken care to circumcise him but even the infants not personally in their own life but according to the common origin of the human race have all broken god's covenant in that one in whom all have sinned now there are many things called god's covenants besides those two great ones the old and the new which any one who pleases may read and know for the first covenant which was made with the first man is just this in the day ye eat thereof ye shall surely die whence it is written in the book called ecclesiasticus all flesh waxeth old as doth a garment for the covenant from the beginning is thou shalt die the death now as the law was more plainly given afterward and the apostle says where no law is there is no prevarication on what supposition is what is said in the psalm true i accounted all the sinners of the earth prevaricators except that all who are held liable for any sin are accused of dealing deceitfully prevaricating with some law if on this account then even the infants are according to the true belief born in sin not actual but original so that we confess they have need of grace for the remission of sins certainly it must be acknowledged that in the same sense in which they are sinners they are also prevaricators of that law which was given in paradise according to the truth of both scriptures i accounted all the sinners of the earth prevaricators and where no law is there is no prevarication and thus because circumcision was the sign of regeneration and the infant on account of the original sin by which god's covenant was first broken was not undeservedly to lose his generation unless delivered by regeneration these divine words are to be understood as if it had been said whoever is not born again that soul shall perish from his people because he hath broken my covenant since he also has sinned in adam with all others for had he said because he hath broken this my covenant he would have compelled us to understand by it only this of circumcision but since he has not expressly said what covenant the infant has broken we are free to understand him as speaking of that covenant of which the breach can be ascribed to an infant yet if any one contends that it is said of nothing else than circumcision that in it the infant has broken the covenant of god because he is not circumcised he must seek some method of explanation by which it may be understood without absurdity such as this that he has broken the covenant because it has been broken in him although not by him 
Yet in this case also it is to be observed that the soul of the infant, being guilty of no sin or neglect against itself, would perish unjustly unless original sin rendered it obnoxious to punishment. Chapter 28 now when a promise so great and clear was made to Abraham, in which it was so plainly said to him, I have made thee a father of many nations, and I will increase thee exceedingly, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall go forth of thee. And I will give thee a son of Sarah, and I will bless him, and he shall become nations, and kings of nations shall be of him a promise which we now see fulfilled in Christ, from that time forward this couple are not called in Scripture as formerly Abram and Sarai, but Abraham and Sarah, as we have called them from the first, for every one does so now. The reason why the name of Abraham was changed is given, for, he says, I have made thee a father of many nations. This, then, is to be understood to be the meaning of Abraham, but Abram, as he was formerly called, means exalted father. The reason of the change of Sarah's name is not given, but as those say who have written interpretations of the Hebrew names contained in these books, Sarah means my princess, and Sarai strength. Once it is written in the epistle to the Hebrews, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. For both were old, as the scripture testifies, but she was also barren, and had ceased to menstruate, so that she could no longer bear children even if she had not been barren. Further, if a woman is advanced in years, yet still retains the custom of women, she can bear children to a young man, but not to an old man, although that same old man can beget, but only of a young woman, as after Sarah's death Abraham could of Keturah, because he met with her in her lively age. This, then, is what the apostle mentions as wonderful, saying besides that Abraham's body was now dead, because at that age he was no longer able to beget children of any woman who retained now only a small part of her natural vigor. Of course we must understand that his body was dead only to some purposes, not to all, for if it was so to all, it would no longer be the aged body of a living man, but the corpse of a dead one. Although that question, how Abraham begot children of Keturah, is usually solved in this way, that the gift of begetting which he received from the Lord remained even after the death of his wife, yet I think that solution of the question which I have followed is preferable, because, although in our days an old man of a hundred years can beget children of no woman, it was not so then, when men still lived so long that a hundred years did not yet bring on them the decrepitude of old age. CHAPTER Twenty Nine. God appeared again to Abraham at the oak of Mamre in three men, who it is not to be doubted were angels, although some think that one of them was Christ, and assert that he was visible before he put on flesh. Now it belongs to the divine power, an invisible, incorporeal, and incommutable nature, without changing itself at all to appear even to mortal men, not by what it is, but by what is subject to it and what is not subject to it. Yet, if they try to establish that one of these three was Christ, by the fact that although he saw three, he addressed the Lord in the singular, as it is written, And lo, three men stood by him, and when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, and worshipped toward the ground, and said, Lord, if I have found favor before thee, etc., why do they not advert to this also, that when two of them came to destroy the Sodomites, while Abraham still spoke to one, calling him Lord, and interceded 
exceeding that he would not destroy the righteous along with the wicked in Sodom, Lot received these two in such a way that he too in his conversation with them addressed the Lord in the singular. For after saying to them in the plural, Behold, my lords, turn aside into your servant's house, etc., yet it is afterwards said, and the angels laid hold upon his hand, and the hand of his wife, and the hands of his two daughters, because the Lord was merciful unto him. And it came to pass, whenever they had led him forth abroad, that they said, Save thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all this region, save thyself in the mountain, lest thou be caught. And Lot said unto them, I pray thee, Lord, since thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, etc. And then after these words the Lord also answered him in the singular, although he was in two angels, saying, See, I have accepted thy face, etc. This makes it much more credible that both Abraham and the three men, and Lot and the two, recognized the Lord, addressing him in the singular number, even when they were addressing men. For they received them as they did for no other reason than that they might minister human refection to them as men who needed it. Yet there was about them something so excellent that those who showed them hospitality as men could not doubt that God was in them as he was wont to be in the prophets, and therefore sometimes addressed them in the plural, and sometimes God in them in the singular. But that they were angels the scripture testifies not only in this book of Genesis, in which these transactions are related, but also in the epistle to the Hebrews, where in praising hospitality it is said, For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. By these three men, then, when a son Isaac was again promised to Abraham by Sarah, such a divine oracle was also given that it was said, Abraham shall become a great and numerous nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And here these two things are promised with the utmost brevity and fullness, the nation of Israel according to the flesh, and all nations according to faith. CHAPTER thirty. After this promise Lot was delivered out of Sodom, and a fiery rain from heaven turned into ashes that whole region of the impious city, where custom had made sodomy as prevalent as laws have elsewhere made other kinds of wickedness. But this punishment of theirs was a specimen of the divine judgment to come. For what is meant by the angels forbidding those who were delivered to look back, but that we are not to look back in heart to the old life which, being regenerated through grace, we have put off, if we think to escape the last judgment? Lot's wife, indeed, when she looked back, remained, and, being turned into salt, furnished to believing men a condiment by which to savour somewhat the warning to be drawn from that example. Then did Abraham again at Gerar, with Abimelech the king of that city, what he had done in Egypt about his wife, and received her back untouched in the same way. On this occasion, when the king rebuked Abraham for not saying she was his wife, and calling her his sister, he explained what he had been afraid of, and added this further, And yet indeed she is my sister by the father's side, but not by the mother's. For she was Abraham's sister by his own father, and so near of kin." but her beauty was so great that even at that advanced age she could be fallen in love with. CHAPTER Thirty One. After these things a son was born to Abraham, according to God's promise of Sarah, and was called Isaac, which means laughter. For his father had laughed when he was promised to him in wondering delight, and his mother, when he was again promised by those three men, had laughed, doubting for joy. Yet she was blamed by the angel because that laughter, although it was for joy, yet was not full of faith. Afterwards she was confirmed in faith by the same angel. 
From this, then, the boy got his name. For when Isaac was born and called by that name, Sarah showed that her laughter was not that of scornful reproach, but that of joyful praise. For she said, God hath made me to laugh, so that every one who hears will laugh with me. Then in a little while the bondmaid was cast out of the house with her son, and, according to the apostle, these two women signify the old and new covenants, Sarah representing that of the Jerusalem which is above, that is, the city of God. End of Book 16, Chapters 21-31 through 31. Recording by Darren L. Slider, Fort Worth, Texas, www.logoslibrary.org